Welcome to the Wesleyan Storytelling Project. I'm Mia Lobel, class of 1997. This week, we hear an extended interview with Ayelet Waldman, class of 1986. My name is Ayelet Waldman. I was class of 1986, although I graduated a semester early. I can tell you why later. And I live in California now, although I came to Wesleyan from New Jersey, where I grew up. Okay. So, well, why did you tell me? Tell me why. I mean, let's just dive right in. Why did you? Why did I leave a semester early? So, um, about six months before my senior year, my father lost his job. And he, I had already, you know, financial aid applications were already due. They had been handed in. You got what you got. And then, and he had, it had been the highest earning job he ever had. And I remember very clearly he earned $100,000 a year, which was a huge amount. And so it was the first year that I hadn't had financial aid, I think. And um, so we didn't, I didn't have any financial aid that year. And then he lost his job. And I just didn't have any money. There's no money to pay for school. So I went to the financial aid office. And I remember thinking, oh, they'll give me a, they'll be like, oh, we want you to finish. We want you that everything will be fine. And what they said was, well, you have all these AP credits. You know, you can graduate early. So that's what I did. So I left. I mean, I came back for the ceremony to graduate, but I left at the end of the fall semester. So that I didn't, and they let me, you know, graduate without having had to, having to pay for that last semester. Was it hard to leave? Did you, was it? I remember, I mean, part of it was, it was hard because there were things that I couldn't do. You know, I couldn't write a senior thesis because I had to leave. And, but a lot of my friends had already graduated and I was going back. I was living, I had been spending my junior year in Israel. So I just went back to Israel. So it was, I don't remember being unduly troubled by it. I remember being disappointed but not like it didn't ruin my life or anything so i want to talk about your first days at wesleyan okay what are your sort of strongest memories from from your from from the freshman year from your first weeks at school i remember when my parents drove me up so they they came and i remember feeling like i just wanted them to be gone i just wanted them to get in the car and leave and there were some activity or other planned for parents and they dropped me off at my dorm and they were about to go and i said you know you just need to leave you need to get out of here. And I they were I can tell that they were, you know, they they imagined this emotional parting and I just wanted to get started on being in college. So I sent I sent them packing. I don't think they were here for longer than half an hour. And um I just sent them on their way. And then I remember the games, what did we call those? O games. There were games that we played on the field. Freshman, the sort of the first couple of days of freshman orientation. We had a one of those big medicine balls. I remember throwing that around and uh, parachutes, the kind of game you play with small children. We did that. And that I remember that being very nice. And I remember um, very clearly from sort of my first uh, experience at MoCon. And as I recall, there was like ice cream. And that launched me on a rather dangerous nightly ice cream consumption. But it was... It was tremendously exciting. I remember feeling very grown up, which is funny now when I look back and I have my own kid who's going off to college next year, and it seems impossible that I felt as adult as I did. But in my memory, I'm no different than I am now. I'm the same person. Tell me more about that. We've we've been talking a lot about how Wesleyan changes you as a Mm -hmm. person and and who you were when coming in versus who you were when you came out. Do do you feel like there is anything about you that... That went through a transition in that time. Um, 
I definitely went through significant transitions. I think mostly it was a matter of self-confidence. I had been a very unhappy kid in high school. I didn't have a lot of friends and I didn't fit in. I, I lived on a, you know, on a, in a not great part of a very, very wealthy town. So I never had as much money as the kids around me, which actually was the truth at Wesleyan and came up in certain funny ways that I can tell you about. But, um, but I remember my mother always used to promise me that when I got to college, everything would be better, that when I got to college, I would have friends. And it did seem that when I landed at Wesleyan, it was, I landed in a school full of people who had been as, who had been at the goober table in the, you know, at the cafeteria, a school full of fellow nerds and outcasts. And that felt great. I mean, it felt really, it was really wonderful to be around people who, who had, even if it wasn't necessarily true, we all had this sense of ourselves as being different, as being, you know, um, outside of the mainstream. And then we became the mainstream. And it, the truth is, it's actually really fun and comforting to be part of this, part of a larger group and part of a part of the, um, there's a reason that people who feel normal feel good about themselves. And, and when I was an undergrad, to be normal in that context, you were a little weird. So it was a nice feeling. And, and, and I think that lasted throughout my time here that I, I always felt like it was I didn't necessarily feel like it was the easiest place to make friends because it was a little bit of a balkanized campus. You know, you there was no, you were friends with people in your dorms. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily a place where people didn't have that great a sense of community as I think it has developed over the years. But there was always someone new that you could meet and and share an interest with. And and uh, and when you're 17, I was 17 when I started. The idea of not having clicks was so ex exhilarating, you know, that there wasn't a popular crowd was such a delight. At that age, that had been such a such a huge thing in my life up until that moment. You know, where you, I always used to say that everybody in my high school, if you have 500 kids in a class, if you'd given them a list, they would have had to rank people according to popularity. They would have been able to write almost the same list, you know, down to a, a digit. And that just wasn't part of being at college and being at Westland at all. It just, it was erased from the equation. And that was really nice. When you, when you close your eyes and think about Wesleyan now, where are you and who are you with? What are you doing? I think, you know, it's funny, the, the fondest memory I have, memories I have are sophomore year. I had a group of friends who, most of whom were seniors, weirdly, and a, a couple of juniors, mostly seniors. And we had an eating club, I guess you would call it. We just had a co-op where we ate together, I think it was two or three nights a week and we would rotate cooking and we would eat at other different people's houses and it was boys and girl men and women we never said boys and girls back then I don't know if they do now but we, it was men and women and um we were everybody was studying something different and it was it was just it was a really nice group of people and some of whom I still know and um and that's I mean that's one of my that's one of my fondest memories and I'm a terrible, terrible cook. So it was always sort of dreading when it was my turn to cook because I had sort of two things I could do. And they both involved tomato sauce. And I remember Billy Weinrub hated tomato sauce. It was my night to cook. He was like, ugh, lasagna again. I was going to ask what your go-to recipes were. Lasagna and spaghetti with tomato sauce. I was the only thing I knew how to make. That was like the two things my mother had taught me. I don't think they were very good. But I, like, I could actually assemble those two dishes, so. And that didn't exclude you from the cooking club. Either. No, they just suffered through my terrible food, you know. And some there, I remember there was one one woman who was an amazing chef. So it was all I think that we we created the club so that we could actually eat her meals. 
I think that was the whole reason behind it. <laughs> Everyone has to suffer. So everybody has just to get to her. Exactly. And it was worth it. That's great. So talking about um, academics a little bit, was there any professor or class that you took that felt like a kind of an intellectual awakening for you? Definitely. I mean, a couple of them. So Bob Steele's classes, I loved. I loved those. And, I, and that was my first introduction to feminism as, sort of an, as an intellectual pursuit rather than just as a political belief. And um, first of all, I couldn't quite believe that I was getting credit and a grade for doing something that was so much fun. It just seemed impossible because I loved the reading and I loved the discussion. And it just, it seemed like we were just sitting around and shooting the shit like, you know, I was going to do anyway with my friends. And um, I loved those classes. Those classes were really, I I took at least three classes with Bob, I think, two or three. And then um, I had... Uh, the Judith Butler, who now teaches at the University of California and who's probably one of the most well-known academics in America. She teaches rhetoric and she's uh, pro- probably shifting to Columbia in the next couple of years. She's an s- academic superstar. And this was her first teaching job. She came as a visiting professor my, I want to say, fresh my first semester senior year. And I took a class with her. And it was the first experience I ever had of not understanding what I was reading. It had never happened to me before. I mean, I could, you could always, it's like, you might have to sort of puzzle out the concepts, but I literally couldn't understand the sentences. She had assigned um, Kristeva and it was impossible. And I remember going to her office and just breaking down and saying, I don't, how is this possible? I don't understand. And this has never happened to me before that I don't understand. And, and she, she said to me, well, this is what it's like to read things like this. You just haven't been reading hard enough stuff. And what you need to do is break it down. And if all you analyze for, it was my, it was, I had to present too to the class. So if all you can present is the first chapter, then so be it. And, um, and those were the days, I don't know if it's still true. I hear that it's not. When every class you read a book a week, every single class, you, it was like a book was assigned. So um, you're reading four or five books a week. And I was supposed to read this whole thing and it took me hours and hours and hours just to get through that first chapter. And my book, when I, when my, that chapter, when I finished it was just covered in annotations, none of which helped me because eventually if you've like circled every word and like written an arrow and said that it's like you actually, all you end up with is a page of that's of illegible type, but that was both incredibly humbling and also really exciting and to have studied with someone I mean she wasn't on the Westland faculty and she didn't stay beyond that year but to have studied with someone who then became um, such a presence in the academic firmament was pretty thrilling a bunch of people have talked about sort of the the very intense and tight relationships between students and both administration and professors and that that's something that, that Wesleyan offers that's, that's somewhat unique. Did you find oh, that? absolutely. I mean, I remember I went to Bob Steele's house for dinner a couple of times. I, I had a real, I, I remember when I realized that the relationship that I had with a professor, Joe Morowski, was, had moved from student professor to an actual friendship. And that lasted for, um, we still speak every once in a while, but for years after I graduated, you know, I think Sophie, my daughter, when she was, when she was, a year and a half at my 10th year reunion, we stayed at Jill's house, my husband and I. And um, that was an incredible, I mean, that it was remarkable to me now as an adult to see the way she opened her home again and again and again to, to generation. I mean, the thing you don't realize when you're a student, the institution exists as this place that you are a part of 
and will always be a part of. But the truth is the students are the one thing that don't last in an institution. You know, they go away and the institution exists independently of them. Um, and in a way, they're both the most important and the least important thing. So, um, but, but to have faculty who, even given those circumstances, welcomes, you know, year after year, generation after generation, class after class of students in that warmth and, and openness is really quite remarkable. What other stories um, pop to mind? You mentioned a few. That, that I mean, they're ridiculous stories. You want to hear the ridiculous one? I had my one, Wesleyan, freshman year Wesleyan, I had my one experience with bulimia. Remember that Dunkin' Donuts that was on Washington? I don't know if it's still there. I went and I bought six eclairs, ate them all, and thought, okay, well, I can, let's try this thing that these girls are doing. And behind the observatory, my one experience with the observatory is I threw up behind the observatory. And I remember that they dunk the Dunkin' Donuts didn't taste noticeably different in I, I, like either direction. They were more or less the same. And that was the last time I ever made myself throw up because it was such a traumatizing. It was just so disgusting. So there was that. Let's see. What else do we have? There was a hurricane my senior year, uh, the first semester senior year. And um, a really serious hurricane, like a big deal, people die, dangerous hurricane. And we stole trays from Mocon and slid in the rain down Foss Hill, sled, basically sledding in the wind and rain during a hurricane. That was insane. That was actually, there was something very exciting about that storm because it was certainly the biggest storm I'd ever been a part of. And then after, eventually we had to go inside because it was so dangerous. But remember, we, I was living in a house at the time and we just sort of sat there in the dark in our house and it was, and watched the storm rage. And we went out in the, at the eye where it really was that moment where there was absolute stillness. And it didn't last very long, but I remember being there and just, you get the feeling that there's all this, this, electricity around you so that was an exciting moment I remember we were protesting Kai Sai as part of their hey their, I, what pledge week had shown some porn movies and I was in the thick of my um, pornography and silence phase where Catherine McKinnon and Andrea Dworkin had published there's their um, works about pornography basically pornography equals rape and I was like big into that. So some of us organized a protest where we stood, we encircled the fraternity house um, and it is a circle of women and male supporters and beat drums to protest the showing of the, um, the porn movies. And then a couple of years later, the same professor, Judy Warner, had a completely different take on pornography and feminism. And I found myself like totally changing my mind. And I thought maybe we should have the anti, the counter protest where we show porn movies against the wall of Kaisai. But that we never ended up doing that. But it was funny. It was like, it was such a, I was as committed to both opposing ideas. And I think maybe that's what it means to be an undergraduate. You know, you adopt everything with a, if you're doing it right, your each intellectual idea becomes the most exciting thing that you've ever heard. And and if if you're being taught in a way that's interesting and um, eclectic enough, you change your mind completely and adopt the opposing view with the same kind of hysterical vigor. So, but I always say, you know, I've written a lot about women and men and the work family dilemma and especially what it's what it means to be a woman professional who was also a mother and how 
how and one of my lines has always been when I give talks I always say it is curious how little actual housework the men who stood next to us at the take back the night marches have ended up doing and I think it is true you know there was this rising level of feminist consciousness that at least for my generation has not necessarily played out at home when you know it's come to time to take care of take you know paternity leave and take care of the kids and do the dishes and luckily my husband is a is I mean maybe it's because of him and maybe it's because of my expectations but he's actually fulfilled that that feminist feminist ideal really well but it is always a surprise to me like I said how little housework so many of those guys in the take back the night t-shirts ended up doing so one of the things I tell the guys is if you had a take back the night t-shirt I think you should do a load of laundry every once in a while I'm just saying I, I don't know if this is really fair since you're just applying, but do you, did you hope that your daughter would be interested in Wesleyan? I did. You know, it's really funny. When I was applying to college, my mother went to Swarthmore, loved Swarthmore. My mother is a kind of alum who goes to every reunion every year, every, you know, every five years. She was desperate for me to go to Swarthmore. And because she was desperate for me to go to Swarthmore, I wouldn't consider it. And in, in considering the kid that I was at that time, Swarthmore probably would have been a really good fit for me. But I wouldn't even, I, she made me go look at it and I stomped around the campus pretending I didn't realize how pretty it was. And I made a decision that I was going to go to Westland sight unseen and it was only made more clear to me when we came here. And the reason was so terrible. The reason I decided to go to Westland is that um, as we were doing our campus tour, some kid was getting high on Foss Hill and he offered my mom a hit off her joint, off his joint. And I looked at her and I said, this is where I'm going to college. So it was an entirely oppositional, like the only reason I went to Wesleyan was basically to fuck with my mother. And um, so I never wanted to say to Sophie Go, I, but I've she's actually a much better fit for the school than I was. I mean, she's actually a really natural fit for Wesleyan and I think would be able to get even more out of it than I did and really have a remarkable experience. But um, I never wanted to say that because I was afraid she might have the same reaction that I did. And then also because um, because it's just harder to get in. I don't think I would have gotten in. I mean, I look at these kids and like I didn't found a nonprofit to teach lactation to you know African I mean I didn't do any of that crap I wasn't like giving vaccines in Burkina Faso I didn't have triple eight hundreds on my SATs well we only had two at the time but you know what I just wasn't I never would have gotten in with the qualifications that I had then so um I I didn't want to I also didn't want to set her up um because it, it's just so hard to get in but when she came to it on her own it's been it's made me really really happy I try not to express quite how happy it's made me just because I don't want to scare her off. But yeah, but I would love, I mean, I th would love to see her here. I mean, the truth is I can see all of my kids here, although my, my son's probably one up, but certainly her younger sister as well, so, which would be great. It's nice to, it's nice to have, I mean, maybe if I had known as a kid how much you get from having a sense of generational belonging I might have actually considered Swarthmore because I, I mean I really feel like that it provides coming here you know with Sophie as she does her interviews it just it make it's a very warm feeling to have a sense that your child will go be in the same place and do the same things especially when um 
I've had a fairly peripatetic life. So there's, we're not, I mean, I'm not going to raise her in rigid New Jersey, God knows. So um, this would be the pretty much the one thing that we would share in that way. The one institutional experience that would be, that we would share if she ends up coming. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. Any other, uh, any other stories or, or thoughts you want to share about Wesleyan before we wrap up? Have you talked about writing? Did you begin writing? No, you know, that's what's so interesting is I never took a writing class at Wesleyan. I didn't take, I, don't, I think I only took one, or one English class. Um, but I did write a tremendous amount. We had to write. Um, you know, it sounds, I feel like such an old lady because what I remember is that feeling of like those papers where you, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning and you have to type it now, you know, like that, the, the last step of typing the paper, which was this thing that hung over your head and computers, here's a funny story. Computers just kind of landed when I was an undergraduate. So you could go to the computer lab and you could write your paper on the computer lab. And I, I was taking a class called something like The Origin of Human Sexuality. It was like my science class, right? That was my science credit. And I was writing a paper on the evolution of the female orgasm. So I was sitting in the computer lab writing this paper, and then somehow, through some trick of horrible whatever, my paper appeared on every computer terminal in on campus. It just wiped out whatever was on there and showed up. My paper about the female orgasm was there on every single terminal. Whatever you were doing, it didn't matter. You were looking at Ayala Wellman's paper about essentially primate orgasms. So, and then I went back to the typewriter after that. But then by the time I was in law school, we were using Max. That's a good place to stop, don't you think? That was Ayelet Waldman, class of 1986. Her daughter, Sophie, will be attending Wesleyan in the fall, class of 2017. The Wesleyan Storytelling Project is an opportunity for alumni to share their memories of Wesleyan with each other and the wider community. To record your own story, or to suggest someone we should invite into the booth, visit westconnect.wesleyan.edu slash storytelling. Mm -hmm.